Welcome to the Hereby Call podcast, where we talk about the ins and outs of being a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, from opening the mission call to coming home and all the blessings in between. So sit back and enjoy the show. She talked to us and she said, when I was a little girl, I don't know, what, maybe 10 or 12, my grandmother told me that there'd be two Bilaganas which is white guys, mm-hmm. coming among us to help us understand our story. Really? When they come, you're supposed to listen to them. Welcome back. It's Jordan and Zach, and today we're sitting with Calvin. I'm not sure your last name. Albrick. Albrick. Calvin is my mom's cousin-in-law. <laughs> and so this is exciting because in the past, Calvin, we've usually had a guest that we've known for years and have been able to talk about this is our first um kind of just jumping into it yeah it was interesting we got a text saying hey you should talk to calvin and i'm like i don't know who calvin is yeah but it's good so this is a good learning experience for us all to give a little background about calvin on you should probably speak more than i do but you're from minersville utah yes you coached at, was it at Beaver High? Beaver High School. For 32 years. 32 years, and you were the head coach for the basketball team and the track teams and also assisted in football and probably other sports yeah, as well. helped with the track t- or cross-country team. Wow. Cross-country. What, what is the, how big is Beaver? Uh, we're a 2A school. Okay. A lot of the time that I coached, we were a 1A school. Okay. Then we got bigger and moved us up to 2A, and so we have to you know, participate in the upper group, the 2A level. So we were there for quite a few years, and that's where we're at right now at the high school at 2A. Awesome. And backing up, you grew up in Minersville. You, you yes. lived in Minersville yeah. your whole life. Graduated from Beaver High School. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Alumni. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so take us back to, well, first off, what, what, what's the full name of the mission that you served in? It was the Southwest Indian Mission. Headquarters in Holbrook, Arizona. Holbrook, Arizona. <laughs> we have some family roots there in uh, Holbrook. Yeah. Yeah. What uh, What year was that that you got your mission call? 1968. 1968. And so who who was the president of the church at that time? President David O. McKay. David O. McKay. Do you remember, I know the more we talk to <laughs> members of the church, you know, going back different prophets and presidencies, it seems like there was a focus on missionary work and it's gotten stronger and stronger. And now, you know, every, every eligible, able 18 year old male is expected or, you know, strongly encouraged to go. What was, what was that like growing up? Was it the same or? I think, I think in at least in our area, it was the theme of, you know, the young men, young women's programs and whatever to, you know, get these kids on missions. And so that's what we, I grew up thinking about was going on missions and, doing those kind of things. So I think it was an emphasis back then also. Awesome. So you're expecting to go on a mission. What were your thoughts when you got your mission call and you opened it and read? Well, let me go back just a little bit before that. Yeah. I wanted to go on a mission. I really did. And I <clears throat> said that I would like to go foreign. Uh-huh. And I would like to not learn a language. So... The so Lord England. heard my prayer, <laughs> and he sent me to the Navajo Reservation, which is 140 miles away from my home, <laughs> and I had to learn the Navajo language. Wow. <laughs> so 
you don't want to put requests into the Lord. Or he, <laughs> maybe he'll humble you, you real quick. He'll humble right? you and <laughs> teach you what he really wants you to know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's awesome. Oh, and so back in the day when I did my mission work, it was all online, right? I submitted things and then I got a packet in the mail that took, it took maybe two weeks. In your time, you know, you're meeting with the stake president. I want to go on the mission. Like, what was that time frame like? Was it pretty quick or? Well, it was, you know, you had a process meeting with the bishop and then the stake president again, and, and it wasn't too long. I think it was about two weeks after you okay. turned the mission papers in, right. you'd get your call back. So it wasn't, you know, like a month or two later. It was, wasn't too bad. Gotcha. So it sounds like it was not what you were looking for when you opened that call. Well, yeah, I was a little surprised, uh, but I was willing to accept anywhere, you know, where the Lord sent me, I was going to go. So I had to look up a little bit where the Navajo reservation was and what it entailed and what, you know, cities were in there and what the boundaries were and found out that part of it was in Utah. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I'm not too far, you know. Yeah. Too far away, but so, yet the conditions on the reservation was such that back then, as I might as well have been in some world, yeah, third world there you go. country. That's what I was know, just going to ask. No electricity, no running water. Wow, you know. So when I got my mission call, I read Brazil, and then I read that I was speaking Portuguese, right? Right. And so when you read your call and read that you'd be speaking Navajo, I mean, had you ever even heard? Navajo? Did you even know what it sounded like? Uh, we had one or two kids in our high school, you know, that we grew up with a little bit that were Navajos, so I knew how to say yate. Oh, yeah. You know, which means hello, or also means good. But that's about it. But I did. So you at least I had, had heard, some familiarity. Yeah. yeah, I had heard, too, through the code talker things uh -huh. and all this kind of stuff, that the Navajo language is one of the hardest languages in, in the world to learn, so... I was a little bit nervous about that. <laughs> I, I, I was as expected. So you go to the MTC and you, we were just hearing that it, you had a special length of time in the MTC. How long were you in the MTC for? Uh, we were there three months and we were in a, what they call the Navajo district. There was about 15 of us and they'd rented a, a building with a, a two story building. And we had, so we stayed in there and, we had uh, instructors that taught us the Navajo language, and a lot of them were Native Americans, the Navajos. Oh, wow. And uh, Elder Lee, George P. Lee, Elder Singer, uh, Elder Lewis Singer. He's, he was a good friend later on after my mission, but he taught me Navajo there. So it was a basic thing. Navajo is not a written language, but they had a dictionary that somebody had made uh, 80 years, 100 years before oh. that or something that had the sounds put to English words. Wow. And so you would study those sounds and how to say it in English. And so that's that's what you how you learned the, the language plus talking it. But it wasn't a written language where you could just read something. Out. My goodness. So what about like like scriptures and stuff like that? Like how do you, if you were to use the Book of Mormon in a lesson, how would you... We just that? had to learn how to explain it the best we could in Navajo. Oh, wow. Now they have, uh, I don't know how many years ago, they've come out with a Book of Mormon translated in Navajo. Wow. But back in those days. When you were serving, there's was, there was no written Navajo to no. learn or to read or is all verbal. Yeah. That's and that's we And we did have some, like, like I don't know whether 
I'd say it right here, but I guess I will. And we had Man Search for Happiness film strip. Have you uh-huh. ever heard of that? Yeah. So you're too young for that. <laughs> no, we, I've heard of it. I don't know that I've ever seen it. Oh, really? But yeah. it was a film strip of where <clears throat> talked about a man's life here on earth. And when you died, you went up in the spirit world and, uh-huh. and so forth. And, and we had that that we could talk to him about. And then the church actually <clears throat> had, uh, had somebody in, uh, interpret that and put it in Navajo on a reel-to-reel tape. Oh, wow. Back in reel-to-reel tapes just barely came out of my parents. <laughs> so said, you were walking around with new technology. a projector in your <laughs> in your car, in your pocket or whatever? Right. <laughs> my parents sent me a reel-to-reel tape recorder with batteries, which is awesome. And so we got the tape, and then we'd go into the Navajo Hogan, and we'd pin a... Pin a uh, sheet up on the wall a white sheet of course there's no electricity so we took the bulb out and we had a drop light oh and wow we plugged this the drop light into the cigarette lighter in our truck <laughs> and take it in and put it down in that projector and it would show the film up on the wall not real bright but enough that you could see it wow and then with this reel-to-reel tape every so often they made a click and that's when you turned the, <laughs> yeah. the little film strip you got through. What was interesting about that is that, you know, it, most of the time there was tears in people's eyes when they got through looking at that. But wow. some, one interesting question they, a few of them had when we got through teaching that was, how did you get up there in heaven to take that picture? <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, because they had, I said, well, they're not really... I guess up there, they were more like actors and stuff, but they thought we'd actually gone up there and wow. filmed the next, the here So I guess um, they were pretty innocent in regards. They'd probably <clears throat> never seen technology like that either, right? A lot of them hadn't. Yeah. Well, so I, yeah, yeah. I assume that would be uh, very new and <laughs> a, a very new experience for those people. Yeah. It was for them and us too with this new technology. It was a lot better because whoever. You know, Interpreted that language or that scripture or whatever could do it much better than we could as the elders. You know, they were professional yeah. at it. Wow, that's awesome. So, talking more about the culture of the area that you serve, what was a what was a place that you came to love in your mission? Well, I enjoyed all them, all the areas a lot. Uh, Sean uh, Chilchimbato uh, was up by Kayenta, means bitter water. Uh, that was a great place. I met a man up there that was baptized before I got there. And uh, he was end up being branch president there. And he was one of the first ones that went through the Mesa Temple. In the, and they had the, the temple ceremony in Navajo. Trenton in Navajo. And he was one of the first ones that went through there. So that was a cool thing. I served in Chantal, which is not too far from Page. And then through New Mexico and then Indian Wells, Arizona. So those were my four areas. All Navajo speaking. Yes. Correct. And um, tell us about the type of people that you met. At least, like, how, how would you describe Navajo? Well, a very sincere people. They were very open people. They were, they were always, you know, nice to us. We weren't the first missionaries there. Missionaries have been on the reservation for quite a while. Yeah, so since, they knew who missionaries yeah. were, and but they were always nice to us. And they... Uh, a sincere people, a people that I grew to love a lot because of the Book of Mormon and what it meant and what it 
what it meant in their lives if they could accept it and move forward as part of their ancestors, you know. Well, and, and speaking of ancestors, what was like some of their traditions that you learned about on your mission that you had never known before? Well, uh, you know, they they think a lot of their worship, basically the, the earth, Mother mm-hmm. Earth and the sky, because all good things come from these things that uh, uh, make life possible and make life good. And uh, then... You know, I knew they they loved their families, and they they cared about their families, and I don't know. I just had a wonderful experience, and as long as you were a genuine person, and they would they would reciprocate, and you didn't maybe they wouldn't always listen to the gospel, but they were always friendly and and willing to listen and talk to you and have a good laugh and whatever. And I come kind of from a farm area, so. You know, I, I loved it. In fact, I learned how to rope on the farm, and I'd go out there. I went out there a couple of times, and they were catching their little sheep or their uh, goats and so they could t- ear tag them and stuff. And mm-hmm. So they were trying to rope them, and <laughs> I said, let me try that. <laughs> no, you can't rope, you know, and all this. And I, luckily, I roped one the very first time. <laughs> Then you, I went, you got some I was respect. Highest, highest esteem after that. Yeah. <laughs> so That's anyway, awesome. there's just fun things like that that mm-hmm. drew you close to the people. Um, were there any foods that they had that that you just came to love, or or maybe didn't love? <laughs> <laughs> well, you had to like mutton or goat, mm-hmm. and so you know as long as it was the meat. But there's certain things they had blood pudding. Oh yeah, they weren't yeah. allowed to eat blood pudding. They they ate the intestines and stuff. But they cleaned them and stuffed them with stuff. But that wasn't very good to me. But I loved their fry bread, yeah, and some of their stews and things that we we ate. So the fry bread is still unreal. oh yeah, Indian fry bread or, or Navajo. It, I heard it can be offensive if you don't call it Navajo fried bread. Well, maybe that's true. <laughs> Either way, fry I'm, bread I'm, a, is, I'm a big fan. Either way. You don't need any butter or anything. All you need is a little salt on it. It tastes awesome. Yeah. So in learning Navajo, how how long did it take you? Or I don't know. That's kind of, everyone learns differently, but how big of a struggle was it to learn Navajo? I imagine. The, it was a hard language and I would say six to eight months out mm-hmm. there. I felt a little comfortable, but you never spoke the language enough to know every word of the language. Gotcha. If you know what I'm talking about. We could speak about how are you, the weather, what's going on in your life. We could speak about gospel terms. But if they want to talk about some scientific thing or whatever yeah. they they knew about, and we had never heard those words, the only way you could tell what they are talking about is once in a while you would hear a word, oh, and that's You'd so catch that would on light that. up. And so they're talking about this and this. But to carry his conversation on about that, I never did get so I could do that. What What was the funniest word that you might have struggled with in Navajo? <laughs> <laughs> and you mind saying it? <laughs> okay. You got, can you say that again? You say it one more time. I'm watching your mouth and it, like air is coming out of the side and under the tongue. <laughs> well, you have a glottal sound and different things. 
What does that oh, mean? There's another syllable in there. You want me to tell you what it means? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not real great, but it's like, it's a name for a dog. Okay. But it actually describes a dog, and it says, "You might want to edit this out." <laughs> Is this a female dog? That, the one that runs one that runs around craps on the ground. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, the clay is the ground earth. Okay. China is manure and it is the one that. So that's So where does it's a weird word. Wow. That's that's ins- <laughs> that's just insane there's so where in that word does it talk about a dog? Or is it just implied? They just describing the one that runs around and craps on the ground. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Gotcha. So that's that describes him. Gotcha. So in in the eight months that you were learning the language, I'm gonna use that by the way. <laughs> <laughs> learning the language and 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 struggling. What what advice would you give to maybe a, a grandson or a granddaughter or someone that's on their mission right now that is struggling to learn the language? Uh, number one, you got you gotta have the Lord help you. you gotta have the Lord help you. Uh, you know, I I talked to people who worked around. Navajos or maybe Japanese people all their life, and they only learn 10 words all the time they was around them. And for you to learn a whole language in like six or eight months completely, you don't do it by yourself. You do it by the Spirit of the Lord. So rely on the Spirit to help you, and then don't give up. It's hard. Don't and just keep plugging at it, and eventually you'll, you'll get it. You'll get enough that you can get by and do your job. So don't give up. Rely on the spirit. Wise words, wise words. Yeah, I know while I was on my mission, there was a a point in time where I got so worked up not being able to communicate, you know, Mm -hmm. and and it got to the point where people wouldn't listen to the words that I would say. They'd listen to the way I say it because I was foreign, you know, and they... the, the spirituality or behind those words was completely missed. But once I got to a point where... I stopped worrying about it and I, I involved my heavenly father a lot mm-hmm. and I just invited the spirit more in those lessons is when my, I was so much more comfortable with the language and it just started taking off. Right. Lots of times we put, try to be too partic- particular in what we say. And the main thing we got to do is how we invite the spirit mm-hmm. to testify about what we say. Yeah. And so we may not know all the language, you may not know every word, mm-hmm. but they know what they feel. Yeah. And that makes, that's how they, they're converted. And that's how we're all converted. Yeah. We know how we feel. Yeah. Jordan, I got a real quick question. Sure. Um, we know, and you had kind of talked about it earlier in the introduction of the book of Mormon, it talks about a group of the Jaredites after a thousand years, all were destroyed except for the Lamanites. And they were among the ancient ancestor of the American Indians. Right. Mm-hmm. So we, we know the, kind of the backstory of some of these Native American tribes. Was there any, like, when you taught a gospel principle, let's say Lehi's dream, or when you talked about the celestial kingdom or something like that, was anything they already, like, had come to know that? Like, it was passed down through generations? Was it easy for them to accept the gospel and know that that were those, these are their ancestors being? It's very interesting that you asked that. Because I just told a couple of people the other day this is this experience, as we were teaching one older Navajo lady, uh, she said she was 105 years old, 
And uh, so we were teaching her about the Book of Mormon and Father Lehi and, and different details about coming across the water and whatever. And she stopped us and she said, when I was a little girl, I don't know what, maybe 10 or 12, my grandmother told me that there'd be two Bilaganas, which is white guys, mm-hmm. coming among us to help us understand our story. Really? When they come, you're supposed to listen to them. And she said, you're the ones. Wow. I got goosebumps. And and she was 105, right? Yeah. Yeah. So she but had waited she her us. whole life. Wow. She wasn't baptized, but th- that was quite a testimony of the Book of Mormon and uh, the meaning to the to the Lamanite people. Yeah. Bringing them back to the fullness of the gospel. So that's amazing. That's beautiful. <laughs> and that reminds me that that's Enos's prayer, you know, yeah. for his own salvation. But then that the, the truth will continue with his posterity and with the Lamanites and all that. So mm-hmm. you, you fulfilled that. Well, <laughs> I wasn't trying to fulfill any prophecy, but it, it was kind of a neat experience for me because of really strengthened my testimony and knew that these people, I was called to serve these people and to bring this, their, their history back to them of Christ and what their people That's amazing. was. So. And to think that her, her being 105 years old, you know, heard that, like you said, maybe 92 years earlier or 90 years earlier and that she remembered that, you know, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, it was. <laughs> took me I got back. goosebumps. <laughs> So you had this experience with this lady who was, who was someone that has had a lasting impact on you from your mission, maybe a companion or someone you taught or a member. Uh, well, one of the, the people that had a big effect on me was named, his name was Hurley Keith. And he was the, uh, the Navajo that I mentioned before was baptized before I got into the mm-hmm. Chanto or, or Chimbato area. And he was a medicine man before he joined the church. And you know, medicine men are, are big in their tribes and they can do a lot and do chants and sings for people to help them heal and whatever. And they make some money doing it and whatever. But once he joined the church, he sacrificed all that and people couldn't understand why he wouldn't do it anymore. Wow. And uh, so he was he was able to transform from what he once knew to what he is, was about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that, that made a lasting impression on me because he had to give up so much for the truth, and he was willing to do that. And then we became pretty good friends with his family, and his youngest son come up and lived with my wife and I for a year on the— Wow. In the placement program back when that was a part of the church. Oh, wow. Yeah, so. that's my aunts um, were part of that program, and, and they had some yeah. family issues that um, happened. I mean, I, I don't say they're my, they're not adopted or legally my aunts, but they, we see them every, you know, every month and stuff like that. So that was yeah. a, that's cool. Yeah. Man, that's a, another good story. Um, this is kind of a jump to a different direction, <laughs> but what was like the scariest experience that you had on your mission where maybe you feared for your life? The scariest one? Well, <clears throat> as 
funny you're asking me these questions. I just was telling people the other day about. <laughs> so I'm You've been prepared. Yeah, <laughs> I, I it's meant to be. Maybe a little tender mercy. But anyway, I was in through New Mexico, and that was over <clears throat> by the Continental Divide. And that Route 66 went by there just a mile or so off of the reservation. And the... <clears throat> The Navajos would walk off the reservation and go down there because they couldn't buy booze on the reservation and get their booze, and then they'd walk back up through on back to the reservation. And, and we lit, there's a cha, there was a chapel there. We lived in a little uh, trailer right behind it, probably a 15-foot trailer right behind it, and that's where the missionaries lived. And we come home one night, and out in front of the chapel there was a uh, Cop, police lights, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Some of the Navajo policemen and stuff. And somebody had been hit, walked out in front of a car and killed right there. And so they wanted to know if we knew anything about it, if we'd seen anything or whatever. And we hadn't. And happened before we ever got there. But so we went. Uh, they got through their investigation. We went and got in their trailer and went to bed. And during the night, I woke up with a really funny feeling, eerie feeling. And I peered out the corner of a, the blind in my trailer, and there's four or five Navajos out there, and they were doing chants and sings. And I think they thought we had something to do with the death. Oh, really? And I think they were trying to witch us. And I got pretty scared. <laughs> you talked about getting scared. Yeah. I get down on my knees, and I prayed pretty hard. Mm-hmm. And they went away, and I got so I could have a peaceful feeling about it. But that was that was scary at the time. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I'm just like speechless. Like I, I was not expecting that. Um, talking more about what well, you talked about the trial of of learning the language and and being scared. Um, did you ever have like homesickness or or maybe like depression? I mean, you. Homesick, you were like 140 miles home. <laughs> you, could ride yeah. your, you could ride your bike home and <laughs> yeah. be home for dinner if you wanted to. Yeah. I guess any other trials that you, you felt that you had that were kind of, I don't know, more personal, not necessarily with missionary work, but more just being away? And uh, It took a little while to get used to. <clears throat> we didn't have the greatest living quarters ever there. We had a 15-foot trailer. You stayed in one, companion stayed in one end, you stayed in the other. You had a little bathroom in there and you had a little stove and you just stuck out there. <clears throat> and lots of times it was really cold. Wind blew, snow blew. And you had a little teeny furnace. Uh, so it was kind of challenging to stay warm sometimes on a cold winter day with a foot and a half of snow out there and whatever. And so you just did the best you could. Uh but, you know, those are just physical challenges that you had to overcome. There wasn't any ever a thing where I said, hey, this isn't worth it, I'm going home or whatever. And I don't know how many we helped, or whatever, but hopefully we planted some seeds and did some good. And I have some good friends still. And uh, they're, they're good in the church and doing a good job. So, you know, it was challenging in some ways because... Well, this is another thing. We, we, there wasn't any grocery stores out there, so our mission president allowed us to go on a, we called it a town trip once a month. And so six elders would get in these old Dodge pickups, 
four of us in the back or three of us in the back. We'd drive to, like, Flagstaff, a t- big town off the reservation. We'd mm-hmm. buy our monthly groceries, load them all in there, and then drive back out to our areas because the, the food on the reservation was extremely expensive. And you couldn't hardly afford to buy it and eat it out there. So we went to these towns and bought in bulk and then drove back out there. And I got pictures of riding 150 miles in the back of an old Dodge truck. <laughs> oh, wow. That's and, awesome. And you just, just rationed on. it out for the whole month. And- yeah. Yeah. We had a lot of Polynesian elders in our really? tradition. Yeah. And they were awesome. They could sing and dance. But if you ever got stuck with a Polynesian elder, you gained 30 pounds in a month. Because <laughs> yeah. you ate a lot of rice. They know how to eat. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't get you to sing and dance? Oh, well, I don't want to brag or anything, but oh. I, I played the accordion. Oh, really? My mom and dad sent my accordion <laughs> down to my mission, and we played at some of the uh, festivals they had. And I remember one time that was really fun with it. Uh, over and through New Mexico on Christmas Eve, we went around at different hogans, and I took my accordion, and I get emotional, but we played Christmas music. And I am a child of God, and a few of the other songs, and they loved it. Just me and the companion. And That's awesome. Hogan full. So, yeah, we did use the music to help with the, with the. Preaching the gospel too. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, when you say hogan, can you just what is a hogan like a neighborhood or a hogan is a eight sided building with a mud roof on top. Oh, okay. And uh, had a door, one door, and then it had a hole cut in the top of the gotcha thing where the smoke went out when they uh, would burn and cook or just heat the place. And uh, usually, it was like a half of a 50-gallon drum, yeah, metal yeah. drum that was in there that they built the fire in or some other metal thing they had. It wasn't like a nice stove or anything. Uh-huh. And then the smoke would just go up and out the hole on the top. Okay. And so That's awesome. And this was like a family would live here or just kind of like a <laughs> Just like place? a town center kind of thing? Well, this would be individual hogans, but they did have town centers called Chapter House. Okay. Each, it's, and that was like a town. Like there's a chapter house called Shanto or chapter house in Tuba City. And so that's kind of where the this, what a political uh-huh. leaders of the church, of the tribe met and, and did their business. It's also a social place. And it's also a place where we rented from them, the church rented from them, the chapter house building to have our meetings in. And so that's what we do. And another interesting part about this is we had to raise some of our own money for our own branches down there and uh-huh. stuff. And we would we would order a John Wayne film. <laughs> we would order uh, Elvis Presley film. And we would sell out the chapter house. <laughs> we would be packed, and then we'd theater. use those funds to run the branch. Wow. wow. That's <laughs> awesome. They don't allow easy. you to do that anymore. <laughs> that was yeah. kind of the way we did it back then. Using John Wayne to preach the gospel. John yeah. Wayne John Wayne is popular everywhere. He is. When I was on my mission down in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, I'd tell people I'm from Arizona. And they go, oh my gosh, have you met John Wayne? <laughs> do, and they would ask, do, do, the, do the Indians live in the teepees? And then they would always talk about 
They didn't, they never had a word for it. They did, but they knew how to describe it. They would ask if tumbleweeds were real. They're oh, like, really? there's no way those are real. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, they're real. But it's funny. John, John Wayne can, uh, he, he's done this world a lot of good. Yeah, that, that's right. Everybody Him and you. Elvis, yeah. Going back to your mission and the people, you, and this is more of a generic question that I have, but it seems like the Navajo are very religious people, but do they meet kind of in an organized manner? Or is it more like a family? Like, we, like a like core we, belief system. Like, like a core belief system, but also like we meet every Sunday and then we learn from local leaders about the church. Do they have like a meeting House. What I remember most of the time, it was just uh, clans getting together. A clan is like a mom and dad and aunts and uncles and then spread out from there. Mm-hmm. There's a clan that all, and they would meet together. But I, whether they met every Sunday, I don't remember that. But uh, they would have their own sings, their own rituals and stuff like that to keep them, you know, in, the, what am I trying to say, in their cultural ways. And teach their culture to their younger people. Yeah. And so they did that, but whether they, they didn't meet specifically on a Sunday or a Saturday to preach their, but they did have these other things that was always taught and the way they lived and what they worshiped and how they prayed and, you know, the way all this kind of stuff has formed the young people on, on how it's, to live their it culture. It seems like they're like a really good example of like what the church is trying to go to and that like, yeah, a lot of home, home-centered, yeah. you know, church-supported, the right. families where you learn. And- was there a lot of consistency between clans, or was it just kind of, uh, what, what I mean is, did, like was there the like a, or? no, what I'm saying is like, was there a, like a, a universal doctrine kind of that they all believed in, or is it like, again, more of a... Like a feel-good. Yeah, kind of like a do-good. I, I think there was a universal doctrine, but I don't think they all got together as a clan and talked about it that okay. much. Yeah. I mean... Everything came groups. from something, though. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and they worshipped the earth and, you know, the sky and everything. That's a, was probably a universal thing that they all believed in and taught. And um, Talking more about the mission and the people and your experiences, what what were some miracles or spiritual experiences that you had that you, that you'll never forget? Hmm. It's been over 50 years and you still remember them. Yeah. Yeah. There's <laughs> that one that, that always sticks in your head. Yeah. I can't think of one right now. We, we, we put you on the spot. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I'll give you a, an, an easier question. What what areas of your testimony grew the most? Like maybe your testimony of testimony testimony of the Book of Mormon and of Christ, because of the center points. If you read the Book of Mormon, I just finished reading again. It all the whole thing talks about Christ and and uh, what is it, what his atonement meant and what his way of living meant and how he should live. And, and the thing that amazes me, I, I now about. Father Lehi and all those that came, these people believed in Christ 600 years yeah. before they ever got here. Mm-hmm. They had strong testimonies born of the witness of the Spirit. And they're, they're, they're telling people, he's going to come, he's going to come. And those doubters said, when? Mm-hmm. You know, we've been 200 years. When? We've been 400 years. You know, and yet there was still a lot of them that were very, very strong in the Savior. Now, we, after he was born here on the earth, we know he was born, and we have records, New Testament and so forth and so on, and 
of that he actually came and did this. And we have the Book of Mormon that says he actually came and did this. But those people had to believe, have the faith way before he ever got here. Yeah. So it's, it's amazing. And that's the truth that I learned too but, uh, about the Savior. So they worshiped him and, and he was their Savior from the very beginning. Was it hard to teach people? Did they have any, they're, they're, I don't know, they're religious. I wouldn't say devout and that they attended yeah. you know, church all the time, but they're, they're obviously deeply religious. Was it hard to introduce a savior figure into their lives or what, was it something that clicked and made sense for them? Uh, for a lot of them, it was hard to be separate. They wanted to do both religions. Yeah. You know, they wanted the, a tradition, the traditional yeah. things, and they wanted Christ in their lives too. And so they had a hard time giving up their traditional things. And so that was hard for them, I think. But there is some that was willing to say, yeah, our traditions of our fathers are wrong. What we've been taught are wrong. This is right. And so they, you know, lived it and believed it and taught it, felt the spirit. And so, you know, that was... But I can imagine how hard it would be, you know. Yeah. You're brought up a certain way and believe in a certain thing, and then you got to throw it all away and believe something else. And But that comes through conversion with the Spirit. Yeah. Definitely. And I think um, every Native American that I've known who's a member of the church or even one who's not, um, when you talk about those traditions, it's very much of, uh, very much a part of who they are. Right. Right. It's like the, mm -hmm. it's in their DNA. And so for, like you said, for them to accept, fully accept the gospel and to admit maybe some of the traditions are wrong, that, that goes against everything that, you know, they've all ever learned. Right. And, uh, I could, yeah, I could see how that would be very hard and, and how the spirit would be such a pinnacle point in that conversion. A lot of them would, <clears throat> the younger people that would become converted, and they'd be going to school or, or some trade tech or something would go back to the reservation and then they would have these ceremonies. I think they I think they called it a squaw dance or whatever mm -hmm. they did, you know, and it was a big celebration. They had a hard time not participating in those. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Giving, giving them up because that was their culture and who they were at one yeah. time. Yeah, totally. And so they had a hard time and some of them, you know, fell away because of that. Yeah, I think we see that we see that today with the people who convert to the gospel, right? Where they find themselves in, in various, various circumstances where, you know, they're part of who they were or they're in a circumstance where um, other influences that they were familiar with in the past influence their decisions they make. Right. It happens to a lot of, of people that I taught on my mission down mm -hmm. in Brazil. Um, reflecting on your mission, Looking back, how was your mission different than what you expected when you first opened your mission call? What were you expecting when you opened your mission call? I was expecting to go to L L England. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking the English language. There you go. And uh, instead of that, actually back in, you know, the early or late 60s, early 70s, you know, they didn't have, like I said, they don't have running water. They don't have electricity hardly anywhere. Uh -huh. uh, they hauled all their water. They did everything. They tried to raise their sheep and their goats and make a living off that and whatever. And so 
it was like going to a third world country almost because they didn't have much more than any of those people. Had. Yeah, it was still very yeah, foreign. It was, yeah, it was real foreign, yet it was very close. So that was kind of a challenge to look at that. And people really are only 140 miles away and still live like this, you know, and, and so... But now you go through the reservation, you know, and there's electricity all through it. And yeah. they got water and stuff. So it's a whole different scenario now than it was then. Did you ever have any run-ins with like church leadership, like maybe an apostle or a 70 that came to visit or, or maybe even an MTC or your mission president? What do you mean by run-in? Like, like uh, when I was on my mission a couple of times, an apostle came and visited and, and just gave a little devotional. Did that ever happen? Oh, I see what you mean. Like More a general a, authority coming yeah, through. Yeah, we. Uh, Sorry, uh, not a run-in. It wasn't a negative. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey! When you said run-in, I thought you may, you know, a you gotta avoid those guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I see. Yeah, we had uh, Elder Tingy. Del Tingy was my mission president, and uh, he had a good friend that when they come to uh, general conference, and he was a. President, I, I think of the Eastern States Mission or something. Anyway, then he would come. He on his way home, he'd come down and talk to us, and give us some good advice. And then he'd go back. And I remember him. Remember one thing he said was, "You know, if you're not truly converted right now," he says, "I am. Please lean on my testimony mm-hmm. as much as you need to till you receive your own testimony." That's awesome. And so. No. Let's let's, let's let's talk about your mission president for just a second. I, uh, a lot of the guests that we've had, their mission president was very impactful figurehead in their life going forward. Um, how did your mission president change you or change your outlook on on certain different certain things? Well, he was very dedicated. Dedicated, and another thing about President Tingy, he owned his own airplane. Oh. And if you can imagine these little, little teeny airplanes, uh, so you'd be out at Chilchimbato or somewhere out in the middle of nowhere, and and the thing was, if he buzzed your trailer to follow him, <laughs> he's going to land on some old dirt road with a lot of rocks. Really, you're supposed to pick him up and you know have, <laughs> wow. a, ch- have a chat with him. Wow! And so he'd buzz your trailer and. Following <laughs> wherever he went, and pretty soon he landed somewhere, and we'd have a visit about stuff and what was going That's on. That's your zone conference, right there. Yeah, That's awesome. what he <laughs> just buzzing your trailer. Wow! And then he would, did he speak the language? Uh, not really. I don't think. Okay, I don't think he did. Uh, and but we were so far out on the reservation. I never had a lot of contact with him. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, zone conferences sometimes, and sometimes it was just the assistants running the zone conferences. And so we had that contact and stuff, but it wasn't like, you know, we were around the mission home and he was with us all the time. It was like yeah. three months he'd buzz your trailer. You better find him. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's an exciting yeah, moment. It was cool. And then he went back up to BYU and helped with the Lamanite generations, started up at BYU. And he still did a, a lot of uh, charity work for the Lamanites and, I remember we went up there as a family, my wife and I and all my children helped pack. Uh, what were they called? Food storage baskets and yeah. health aid, I guess you might say, uh-huh. for all these 
uh, different uh, people. And then we did, there's a lot of people that are doing it, and there'd be thousands of them, thousands of packets, and then they'd send them out to all these these tribes and whatever that needed some help. I think we've got some incoming. Yeah, we got some incoming notes. Notes on maybe stories or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we already talked about most of those. <laughs> we've been rocking and rolling. Yeah. Bonnie's a good wife. She's keeping you on your toes. Yeah, that's true. She- um, let's see. <clears throat> we've gone through a lot of these questions. What any call to action that you would give to someone going on a mission that just opened up their mission call and they read one and I don't even know, do they still send people to the Navajo tribes and Yeah, they still have a mission and there's still Navajo I think speaking. the headquarters in Farmington, New Mexico now, not Holbrook, Arizona. Yeah. <laughs> so but they do. What what advice would you get to someone that opened and read their mission call? That's going to serve those same people that you serve. Yeah. Well, it would be a lot different now because most all of them speak English. And so the communication factor wouldn't be there like it was back, you know, in 1968. Uh, So one thing would be learn the Book of Mormon because all the way through it, it preaches that this is going to come forth unto the Lamanites. This is going to come forth unto our descendants. This is going to come forth and bring them into the light of the gospel so that they'll know about us and they'll know about the Savior. And and so read the Book of Mormon, know the Book of Mormon, because that's what you'll be teaching is their their history. And, and it prophesies about them coming into the gospel and you know, from the Gentiles to them. And so that's why us Bilaganas, white people, that learned are going to the Lamanites to restore them to their proper place in God's kingdom. That's awesome. That is awesome. That'd be such an exciting group of people to teach and to have that, you know, that, that privilege of doing that. It was, it was really neat. I remember uh, on my mission, it was, I was in uh, Philadelphia, Mississippi. And that's where the Choctaw Nation was. And we went on exchanges and I was reading the Book of Mormon, Enos's Prayer, the day before. And I was so excited that we got to go on the res and it is <laughs> a beautiful experience. Awesome. I guess another thing about that mission is my parents went on a mission and they opened their papers up and we just lived across the street from my parents. And they said, guess where we're going? And I said, you're going down to the Southwest Indian Mission where I served. And they looked at me and they said, how did you know? <laughs> and I was just kind of yeah, putting them. it together. Yeah, yeah, you know, that my parents were called to the same mission I served in. Wow. So do you ever speak Navajo to each other? Or were they- well, they, they were called to the English speaking. So they spent most of their time in White River with Apaches. Gotcha. And your mission, it was Navajo, English speaking. Was there Spanish as well or just Navajo and English? Navajo and oh. English. Okay. No Spanish. Would you mind giving us a, a brief testimony in Navajo? Yeah, let's hear. Well, it. after that many years, <laughs> the, to uh, the best of your ability. I guess you guys won't know what I'm we saying. No, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good point. Yate gamli, but not Natina. A gamli. Only but not Natina Nishlin Tea. 
50 years ago. Did Jesus Christ sort us in Bahu God shit by Olsen? Did Jesus Christ die at that shit by Olsen? Shit by Olsen. The the ne the chosen people of God shit by Olsen. The Book of Mormon die at that shit by Olsen. The Jesus Christ, Amen. Amen. Calvin, thanks for for sharing your time and, and your experiences with us. And I, I want to congratulate you on remembering so much about your mission. I think we forget way too much and yeah. I'm glad that you've cherished it. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity of rehearsing it and give me a copy <laughs> of this so I can. Yeah, yeah we will. Kids. Absolutely. Zach, where, where, where can you find this? Podcast? Uh, yeah, you can find the podcast uh, on iTunes. That's a hereby called podcast as well as Spotify, or you can just go to the www.herebycall.com. And we, that's where we publish episodes as well, but we'll definitely get you a copy. And again, we greatly appreciate it. And like Jordan said, um, I've, I felt the spirit just hearing your testimony and knowing how much your mission meant to you. And I hope that I can convey that same mission to my kids and, and to the world. And so again, I thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. <clears throat>